today uh, we're starting into a new thing. Anyone ever read the book of 1 Corinthians in the Bible before? Jason has. That's good. Terry has. Rick has. Okay, good. Just, just catching up. Good. So we believe, we believe here that God's word transforms your life. And uh, the vision statement of our church is that we would be a church overflowing with God's presence where we see the lost saved, culture transformed, and God exalted. And one of the biggest ways that we encounter the presence of God is through his word. He speaks to us. He does a work in our hearts. And so um, I wanted to look at a snapshot of the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to give you a snapshot into the first four chapters of the book. Now, I promise I'm not going to preach for three hours, but there's a few themes in that book, and basically you can look at the theme of the book of Corinthians and say, hey, how do we do church in a world that doesn't love God, is confusing, um, where there's weird struggles, and, and in fact, that city, there was probably three or four hundred people that knew Jesus in that place in the city of Corinth in southern Greece, and Paul went to these folks, and he was he, they had a whole bunch of questions for him. They had a lot of issues that they were walking through. They, they had all sorts of division in their midst. They were struggling. There was one guy that was having sex with his mother-in-law. That's not, that's not a good thing. Um, they were struggling, disagreeing well. They didn't know how to do church without everybody getting confused. They had all these issues. And, and they wrote Paul this letter and say, hey, help us. And so I wanted to dig into that a little bit today. And the title of the message today is... Where do I find wisdom? Where do I find wisdom? So let's pray. God, I thank you. Um, oh, God, I thank you that you want to speak to us today. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you know us. I thank you, God, that you're not a God of a dusty old book that was from 2,000 years ago, but you're a God who is living and vibrant and with us today, and you have something you want to say to each one of us. Um, nobody came here today to hear me talk. They all came to hear you. We want to hear you speak to us, God. So we just say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We love you, Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 12 says this. I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. How about that for the American political scene, huh? And that there would be no divisions among you. Anyone see any divisions? But that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it is reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is this, is each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or Peter, or I follow Christ. In other words, I got my favorite teacher. They're the one that has it figured out. I'm following them. And someone else comes along and says, well, I've got my favorite teacher. They have it figured out. I follow them. Pull it into our modern day, and I think it looks like this. I follow Barack Obama. I follow Anthony Fauci. I follow Jordan Peterson. I, jo I follow Jimmy Fallon. I follow Greta Thunberg. I follow Beth Moore. I follow Bill Johnson. I follow Tom Hanks. I follow John MacArthur. I follow Will Smith. I follow Beyonce. I follow Martin Luther. I follow Martin Luther King. I follow, I call, I follow Carl Sagan. I follow Stephen Hawking. I follow Chuck Norris. I follow the Pope. And here I think is the one that most of us follow often is I follow Google. The point is this. Who do you follow? 
who you trust? What's a voice that's trustworthy? What are, what's people that you say, man, that's impressive. That's wisdom. That's true. That's real. And someone else turns around and says, nah, that's not true. That's true. How do we recognize the voice of wisdom of God versus the voice of wisdom from the world? Now, the voice of wisdom from the world looks a lot like it follows a lot onto the, our senses. It it's, looks a lot like a big bank account and a ton of followers that you might have purchased on, on Instagram. It looks a lot like winning. It looks a lot like people that have places of positions and titles and things behind their name. This is what the world looks as wisdom. What feels right, what makes sense, this is the world's wisdom. And I really like Elon Musk. He's really interesting. He's got all these like things he's made and whatever. But I wouldn't say he's following God's wisdom. I, I really enjoy different people that say all sorts of really smart things, and, and I'm sure they're really wise, but... But the truth is the world's wisdom and God's wisdom, world's wisdom is based all upon our senses and what we can see, taste, feel, and touch. But God's wisdom strikes deeper than all of that. How do we recognize God's wisdom? 1 Corinthians 1.22 said this, and this is speaking of the world's wisdom, people that have two different lenses. For the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Jews were basically saying this, look, show me a sign that you are real. They did this all the time to Jesus. Prove that what you're saying is true. Multiply some food, conquer our enemies heal somebody, do something. And Jesus said this, I'm not going to give you any sign except that I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. And here's the sign of Jonah. I will die and in three days I'll be raised from the dead again. He was basically saying, your sign is me. And then the Greeks say this, well, we're not looking for a sign, but what we are looking for is your sources and your citations. We're looking for you to Tell us and prove to us your logic, your all this stuff. Prove to us that you are real. Show us that you're real. Or show us that you're true, that your wisdom is true. And Jesus says, my life proves that I am wisdom. See, he didn't give them what they wanted, but it said this, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, both to those looking for a sign and both those looking for logic, that Christ is wisdom. And it says this, it says that, but it is foolishness to the world. What do you mean that someone dies and that somehow shows that they are wisdom, that they've won? It, it seems like silliness to say that someone was resurrected from the dead, the Greeks would say. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified and it said this, I like this, it's a message that to the Jews was triggering to the Gentiles utter foolishness. God will hit, pick a hot bucket, hot button. I can't talk today. Hot button. Um, and he'll have a conversation with us in those spaces. I like what Jesus did in John 6, 53. There's a story here. Jesus on a hillside with a bunch of his disciples. 
And there's all these crowds and crowds of people following him. And they're thinking, maybe this is the guy that's going to free us from Rome. Maybe this is the guy that's going to be our savior. Maybe this is the guy that's going to be the answer to all of our world's problems. And they were right and they were wrong because he was going to bring them something that they weren't looking for. And so Jesus says something intentionally to offend. What? Yeah. He intentionally says something that he knew would be hard for them. And he said this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. How would you like that? You're following a guy and he says, look, you can have salvation, but you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's said that on that day, thousands of people left Jesus. Peter, one of the main disciples, is standing next to Jesus. Here, they, here he is with his 12 disciples. Jesus turns to Peter and says, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says these famous words. He says, where would we go? You have the words of life. In other words, Jesus, this whole thing about eating your flesh and drinking your blood, I hope you don't really mean what I think you mean, because I'm kind of confused by that. But I know this, there's something in me that comes alive and pops up in my heart. You have the words of life. My brain doesn't get it. My emotions don't always get it, but there's something here. Where would I go? Who would I go to? To those that are called, they know there's something in you deep inside your knower that you know. You know that you know that you know that you know that you know this is who God is. You know that you know that you know. And here's my point. The spirit of God is speaking to your spirit. He's not trying to answer all your questions or give you a sign in the sky. He does answer questions and he does give signs in the sky, but that's not the point. The first and foremost thing he's going to do to you and I is he's going to whisper into your spirit and say, do you trust me? Do you trust that I have something good for you? Do you trust me? And are we will either be like those that say, this is super confusing, I'm walking away, or we'll say, where else will we go? You have the words of life. And I, and I want to say this, some of you maybe never heard this before, but the Bible articulates the voice of God in three different ways. That inner knowing, that inner voice of God, it comes in three different ways. One, God's voice comes, and it says in Jeremiah, it says it comes like a fire. And there's this, this one passage at the end of one of the Gospels where there was two disciples, and they, Jesus had already been resurrected from the dead, and it says that they didn't recognize him when he came up. And they were talking on the road, and they said this. Jesus came to them, talked to them, and then it says that he broke bread with them, and then he disappeared. And they said this to each other after Jesus left. We didn't realize until after he left that, that it was him, but did not our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures to us on the way? So when you take your Bible, or perhaps when God uses someone to articulate something from his word, and they say it to you, there's something in your heart that burns. And, and you might like it, you might not like it, but it burns. It's in you, you're like, oh, I feel that. Another way that the voice of God is articulated is that the voice of God says in Jeremiah 29, it says that his voice is like grain. In other words, his voice is like food. You read God's word and you're like, I, I feel stronger. I feel nourished. I, I feel strengthened in myself. 
And lastly, it says in that same chapter that God's word is like a, like a hammer that breaks the rocks to pieces. God's word will break our mindsets. He'll shift our thinking. He'll move all sorts of things. God's word and his voice is powerful, but often it's quiet. It pierces through. It's a quiet voice that pierces through all the noise. And the believers in Corinth were struggling through all this. They knew that God spoke through the Bible. They had the first half, the, New Te- the Old Testament, but they all had their favorite speaker. And sometimes those favorite speakers said different things. How do I know what's true? I think the most important thing I can say in all that is that are you spending time with Jesus for yourself? That you yourself can know what's true. I like this in Jeremiah 9, it says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich person boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. Hey, don't boast that you know a bunch of stuff. Boast that you know him. The guy, a guy, there's this guy named Yonggi Cho. I think I've told this story before, but he has the large, he had the largest church in the world. He died like two years ago, like 800,000 people. And um, one day he was spending time seeking God and he said this to him. God said this to him. Hey, Yonggi, do you know why I use you? And he's like, no, God, why? He's like, because you're not very smart. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, smart people don't listen to me. Smart people have their plan all figured out. But you, Yonggi, you know you don't know, so you just trust me. It says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Because here's the question, how do I recognize when God's using a person to speak? How do I know that's God and not just some guy who's talking great? And Paul came to them and he said this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Not exactly the most impressive speaker. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a what? Demonstration. There's some church historians have even said that Paul, they say, was a short, balding man that rambled a lot. It was even said in one place in the book of Acts, he was in an upper room of a a place he was sharing and, and teaching for like a whole night. And there was a young man that was sitting in the window and he fell asleep and he fell out the window. He falls up out, he falls down to his death, he falls down. Paul goes down there, lays hands on him, prays for him, and the guy's resurrected from the dead. And you know what he did? He went back up and kept preaching again. I mean, I guess everyone's probably pretty awake after that. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you this, you guys. And I was, I was really struggling when I was, I'm not, I was just processing when I was reading this. We have so many incredible preachers and teachers. I mean, you could go on YouTube and you could listen for days to like all sorts of people that are really impressive and they'd be impressive on every topic, and they can convince you about everything. But what we need are people that will come with a demonstration of the Spirit and a demonstration of power. What's a demonstration of the Spirit? 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. That people would walk in the character of, wow, that's, that's what God's like. That they would hate what God hates, they would love what God loves, and there would be something about them. They're like, man, there's something extra about that spirit on them. They're, they're not moved by life circumstances. There's something solid in who they are. And the second pass, piece is that a demonstration of power, that it's not just talk, but that when we pray, things change, that people are actually healed, that lives are transformed, that things happen. That's why a bumbling, balding, short man could be confusing to listen to, but when he laid hands and someone got healed, you're going to listen because there's something with him that's more. A demonstration of the Spirit and a demonstration of power. I think we can get hung up on someone's package. That sounded really weird. Get hung up on, <laughs> on the delivery. Paul's, Paul wasn't impress, impressive. Oh boy, welcome to church. <laughs> Those of you... I like this story. There's a guy named... Um, Anyone ever heard of George Washington Carver? George Washington Carver was a, was a, a black gentleman from, uh, I forget when, back in the plantation days, right after, right after the Civil War. And jo George Washington Carver loved Jesus. And when he was a young boy, he was praying one day and he said to God, he said, God, would you show me the secrets of the universe? And he felt like God said this back to him. The secrets of the universe are for me alone. And so he said again, okay, God, if you want to show me the secrets of the universe, show me the mystery. And he actually said this, the mystery of the peanut. He said that to God. He's like 17, 18. Show me the mystery of the peanut. And he felt like God said to him, okay, that's about your size. I can do that. So back in the South, this is a really interesting story. Um, there, they had all these cotton fields all throughout the South. And if you know anything about cotton, it depletes the soil. All the nutrients were being, the, the soil was being decimated by all of this. And George Washington Carver, as he had been praying, God was showing him stuff, all of the stuff about peanuts. And so he said, you guys should plant peanuts because it'll, it'll reinvigorate the soil. And they said, well, what's good? What's a peanut good for? We're not going to bother with a peanut. I, you can have, there's not that many people that want to eat that many peanuts. And so he went to prayer and he was supposed to present to Congress. And so he's in prayer. And he had a few months before he was supposed to go present. He prays, and this is what happened. God said this to him. Well, he, he fasted for 10 days. He sought God for an answer, and then God said this to him. Separate the peanuts into, into water, fats, oils, gums, resins, sugars, starches, and amino acids. Then recombine these under my three laws of compatibility, temperature, and pressure. And then you will know why I made the peanut. What happened after those 10 days, and in that season, he presented to Congress hundreds, hundreds of applications for the peanut. If God can reveal hundreds of applications for a stinking peanut, what could he reveal about relationships? What could he reveal about what needs to happen about homelessness in this city? What could he do? And he he went on to say this, as I worked on progress, prog projects that fulfilled a human need, forces were working through me that amazed me. 
I would often go to bed with an unsolvable problem and wake up and the answer would be there. Why then, we, why then should we who believe in Christ be so surprised of what God can do when a willing man, with a willing man in a laboratory? Some things may, must be so baffling to the critic who has never been born again. God loves to reveal wisdom to those who seek him. And he doesn't care about your pedigree or how much you've messed up or not messed up or how great you are or not great you are. He simply says, everyone who asks, get wisdom. But the very next verse, James 1, 6 said this, but when he asks, he shouldn't doubt. Why? Because the man who doubts is unstable in all he ways. Now that's not saying don't be fearful. That's not saying don't have doubts. What it's saying is stand still. God has wisdom for you for everything that you need to go through, but you have to be still enough and wait so you can hear what he is saying. The one who says, hey, God, I want to know something. I guess God's not talking and moves, won't receive. But the one who sits and waits, receives. First Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 is kind of a tricky one. Paul says to them, like, look, there's this wisdom, it's Jesus, and in Christ is all the wisdom you need. But he says this to them, he says this, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as it would a spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. Ouch, how would you like to get a letter like that? Why are they not ready? For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by the sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Here's the thing. When I live by the ways of the world, I can't receive the things of God. So when you go to God and you say, God, I need help with my marriage. I need help with my finances. I I need to understand this and this. I want to understand your word. God, probably the first thing, at least he does it with me, is, hey, Jeremy, what about your attitude? How did you treat that person? Where are your eyes at? Where is your heart at? Because only one type of wisdom can take up residence in your heart, either the spirit of Christ and his wisdom or the spirit of the world and its wisdom. And I have found by personal experience that if I try to fake it, if I try to serve God, but I have places of compromise in my heart, the best I can hope for is to mimic what God is saying to other people. You can watch their YouTube channels and you can do whatever. But the point is this. God wants to talk to each and every one of us, but it only is going to happen as I say, God, I'm not going to be controlled by the ways of the world. I'm going to allow you, Spirit of God, to control my heart. They weren't ready for the wisdom of God because they were operating according to the wisdom and the ways of the world. In other words, they had no way to receive the deeper things of God because they were consumed with the foolishness of the world. Folks, I think often in the American church, Google has been our Bible, YouTube is our teacher, and social media is our small group.
and all I get is the world's wisdom. People have good intentions, bad intentions. They say smart things and dumb things, but I can tell you what the world has to offer isn't enough. We can't live by the wisdom of this world. So here's where it's going to end up, and, and this is this is kind of a challenge and an encouragement. I feel like if we receive this, this could be a really big deal for our hearts. There's three types of people in the world. Wise people, foolish people, and evil people. Proverbs 2 speaks of wisdom, and it says, Seek wisdom as it is a priceless treasure. Proverbs 4 says, Though it costs you everything you own, get it. Colossians 2 verse 3 says, in Jesus is all of the treasures of wisdom. There are over 500 verses in the Bible that either speak of the importance of wisdom or the importance of being a wise person. Getting wisdom is supreme over everything. And how many know that there can be pivotal decisions in our life where I have a choice to make a wise decision or a foolish decision? And that is going to be a massive hinge on my life. I can step into this direction, and it's going to be blessing. I can step into this direction, and it's going to be destruction. Our lives can hinge on moments of wisdom and foolishness. We need to be wise. What, what are the wise like? The wise live by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they say, it's not going to be my emotions that dictate my life. People say things like, just, you know, follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. If I follow my heart, I like the smell of gasoline, right? Like, it's not, a, it's not smart. If I follow my heart, I'm going to eat lots of Twinkies. If I, if I follow my heart, actually, Sour Patch Kids, that's like my favorite. But, but if I follow my heart, I'm going to follow my cravings. All those cravings do is comfort the flesh. It doesn't give you anything. The... The wise live by the power of the Holy Spirit. The wise are humble. The wise are teachable. The wise are quick to say, oh, wrong way, going this way. The wise fear the Lord. What does fearing the Lord mean? It doesn't mean afraid that a mallet from heaven's going to fall. It's a fear I do not want to be out of relationship with God. I so value this relationship with God, I don't want anything to mess with this. And I can tell you, Oh my goodness, if you have tasted of what it's like to be in friendship with God, it is the most precious thing we could ever have. His voice, his presence changes everything. Proverbs 19.25 says that the, the, the wise love correction. Anybody love to be corrected? I was really challenged with that this week. I don't like to be corrected. I don't like it when my wife is right and tells me, like, hey, Jeremy, but it's good for me. It's love. They love feedback. They listen to others. They surround themselves with godly counsel, people that they ask questions and say, hey, what do you think? How can I improve? What could be better? They recognize that wisdom can come from anywhere as long as it's birthed from the Lord. The wise know that the little kid might have the word of wisdom or the older gentleman in the back could have the wisdom. But the point isn't age. The, voice, the point is their ears are open. God, speak to me. God, lead me. God, direct me. But here's the bummer, and I wrote this down, and I think it's, I, I know it's true. 
just because you love God doesn't make you wise. The point is not just loving God, but being submitted to his ways and to submitted to the people he brings across our path. The majority of people in our world are not in the wise category, but in the foolish category. What does it mean to be foolish? I'm led by my emotions. I'm not teachable. I can't be corrected. They defend themselves. They challenge when someone says they're wrong. Proverbs 12, 1 says this. I don't know, you might know this verse. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Ouch. I don't want to be stupid. You will know, you will never know the true character of a person until they're corrected. Can you take it if someone says, hey, Jeremy, you blew it. The fools don't give to God. They hold on to their resources. The fools follow the heart. They don't lead their heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceptive above all else. Who can what? Know it. You know, the other morning I woke up. God's challenged me for a long time to make my mornings about him. Spending time in worship and prayer and saying, God, here's my day. And I got up, and I was tired and groggy, and I wasn't feeling it, and I got outside, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to start praying, and I started praying in the spirit, and I started worshiping God. I put my favorite worship song on, and I started walking, and my emotions were all, were all saying, go back to bed. I don't want to be here. My mind had words like, God's not hearing you anyway. Nothing's happening. What are you bothering with? You know what happened? About a, half hour, about a half hour into it, my attitude and my emotions started to shift. Man, that took me a little while. You see, my heart needs to be led into the right places. But if your heart is your barometer for what's true, you're going to check your heart and go, well, I guess that's what it is. But the wise say, no, 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 no. How I feel, what I think isn't all there is. There's something more. I know that there's something in God's word. I know that I've seen it in people's lives. I don't care how I feel. Anybody tired of being held captive by how you feel? Let's get past how we feel and let's press into what's true. God wants us to graduate from our emotions to hearing his voice. You know, Foolish people are attracted to offense. People with offense and getting offended. They lack boundaries. Folks, if I'm foolish and a pastor or a person comes to your life and says, hey, maybe you need to be careful about the relationship you're in, you'll say, eh, that must not be God. If I'm walking in the same cycles and same patterns over and over again, there's a chance that there's a place of foolishness in my life and God wants to say, it's over, it should be done. I have more for you. Fools always feel, always think that they're right. They see themselves as victims. And to, the, and to anyone that feels like they're a victim today, I point you to the story of Joseph. If anybody had a right to feel like a victim, it was him. Sold into slavery by his brothers with a dream in his heart that he was going to do something great. Put in a house where he had to work hard, he started to do better, and then he was put into prison. Put into prison to care for these people, and then, then suddenly in that space, he started to get graduated. But this guy was constantly put under. He had the right 
to say, I'm a victim. It's not going to work out for me. But no matter where he was, he was like, you know what? No, I will not say I'm a victim. God has placed me here, and I will rise to the top of everywhere that I am. That is God's plan for everyone that follows his name, is that he will take us for a purpose in every situation, whether that be in a jail, a pit, or working for in a job that you don't enjoy. He has a purpose and a plan. Fools see themselves as victims. And lastly, fools always stray towards evil. You never stay in neutral as a fool. The evil live under the power of evil spirits. And I, and I mean that sincerely, that, that the demonic has an influence over their life. They're tormented in their heart and in their emotions. So what do they do? They torment others. The, the evil are bound by fear. So what do they do? They perpetuate it around them. They, they're prideful and boastful. They, they hate God, so they hate what God loves, and they love what God hates. Evil people prey upon foolish people. Fools entertain evil, and they get, they get them to join their cause. Romans 1.21 says this, For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to God, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. It's like this space where they say, I'm not going to seek God. And so God's like, well, okay, then I'll let you to your foolish ways. And the foolish ways always gravitate us into all sorts of weird stuff. This is why we have like 48 or 49 different genders or whatever it is now. And I don't mean light of anyone that's struggling through any sense of identity of who or who we are, but the reality is God is very, if you ever have confusion in your heart, it's not from God. God has clarity for us. God has answers for us. He has joy for us and a firm foundation. The ways of the world come into the places of confusion and pride and fear. And God says, trust me, learn from me. I have a better way. To reject relationship with God is foolish. And the result is that my heart gets dark. And in the end, evil. We end up worshiping whatever we can experience in our senses. Separated from God, we just keep drifting. But there's hope. Everyone say the word hope. Come on, say it again. Hope. Jesus tells a story of a man in the, prodigal, in the story of the prodigal son. And in that story, the prodigal son is wise, he's foolish, and he's evil. He's at his father's house, and he, he goes to his father and says, hey, give me all my inheritance. I'm leaving. He's very foolish. He goes, and he lives, goes into a self-indulgent lifestyle. He spends all his money on partying and prostitutes and that whole thing, and he ends up losing everything. He turns, his heart gets darkened, and he becomes evil in that space. And then in his lowest place, where he's lost everything, you know what he does? James 1.5, 
If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. And in his lowest place, he turns his heart and his head skyward, and he's like, there's got to be something better here. And a whisper from the Holy Spirit comes into his heart and says, maybe you should go home. He listened. God dwells with the humble, not with the perfect, not with the ones with the great pedigree, not with the, the scholar. God, God dwells with the humble one that listens and says, maybe, maybe there's something I'm missing here. And so he humbles himself and he goes home and he says, Dad, can you just take me back as a hired servant? And the dad says, no, 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 you're coming back as my son. Can I tell you that this morning, it doesn't matter what stage you're in. It doesn't matter if you're wise. It doesn't matter if you look at your life and be like, I have been such a fool. It doesn't matter if uh, you've been like, my goodness, my heart's been evil. The simple thing is that we just turn and say, God, can I hear that whisper again of what you have to say to me? I want to I wanna follow you. Let me hear the whisper of your heart to me. Hey, Nick, can you just pop up on the guitar? Wisdom is costly, but so is foolishness. And evil will take your life. Do you value wisdom? The people of Corinth struggled with what the wisdom of the world was and the wisdom of God was. And Paul was trying to show them that wisdom came with a demonstration of the spirit and the power, and it always pointed to Jesus, him crucified, him resurrected. This is the wisdom of God. I heard a preacher say this recently. He said, the definition of wisdom is this. What does God want? What does God want? And sometimes we have no clue, don't we? We're not sure. Book of Second Chronicles, there's a story about a man named Solomon. And he dedicates this temple to God. And this is, this is a big deal. Temple represents the place of God's presence. He dedicates the temple, this central place where they would say, whenever we have a problem, whatever's going on, we're going to come here. He dedicated that temple with 1,000 times greater what the normal daily sacrifice was supposed to be. He gave like tons of wealth towards this. Pours it out. That whole thing happens. Fire falls from heaven. God says, yep, I like this. He goes to sleep. And while he's asleep, God appears to him in a dream. And he says this to Solomon. Solomon, what do you want? You know what he says? Wisdom. He got it. If we could have wisdom, we have everything we need. We need wisdom. I was, I was as I was preparing for this, though, and I was thinking through this, this question came to my heart. You know, wisdom's the right answer, but if you had that moment where God appeared to you and you were sitting there at night and God appears to you in a dream and he says to you, hey, what do you want? What would you say? 
I'll take the house. I'll take that job. I'll take that relationship. I'll take the whatever. But the Spirit of the Lord is here to say, to convict your heart and to convict my heart, is that if you have wisdom, if you have Christ, if you are following in the way of the Spirit and you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Don't know what to do? You need wisdom. How much do you want wisdom? Struggling with anger, fear, lust, confused about the future, not knowing about your worth, struggling with money? What does Jesus say about that topic in his word? I'm learning more and more how costly wisdom is. And the truth is that often when you ask God a question, he doesn't speak right away. Because he wants to know, do I have your heart. So we say, God, I really need to know about this. And he says, seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with what? All. And so he waits. He looks at my heart and he looks at your heart and he's like, come on. Because what you're going to really catch is me in the end. We could just all stand on up and I'm guessing everybody in this room needs wisdom, and if you don't think you need wisdom, well, you you need wisdom. But can we just, um, can we just put out our hands in front of us? And I just want to lead us in a, in a space of just saying, God, I need, I need your help. Maybe you got life circumstance stuff going on, or maybe, (laughs) maybe you just feel stuck. Maybe it's financial, whatever it is, but the point is, wisdom is him. So spirit of the living God, we just come to you and I I pray um, from the left to the right to the front to the back. God, I cry out in this space, would you fill us with your wisdom, with the knowledge of who you are. God, we really need you. And I pray that Monday morning when we we get up and we don't feel like it. We would remember what the true value of wisdom is and of knowing you. And I just pray a deep conviction in every person's heart here today. I have to have wisdom. I have to have Jesus. And just every eye closed, I just want to ask this question. Are you in a space of life? You're like, man, I have a critical thing going on and I just need, I need wisdom right now for a specific thing. Can you just lift your hand up a little higher? Okay. God, we, we cry out for every person in this room that's in a space of needing wisdom. I, I pray, God, an undistracted heart to seek you and be tenacious because you do give wisdom to all who seek you. So I pray a tenacious heart. And I also pray this, God, I pray a steady heart that you would remind them you are the God who comes through. You are the God that's faithful. So we pray in Jesus' name over every issue that's represented in this room. God, we thank you for James 1.5. You said in your word, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. God, we need your wisdom. 
And Lord, I just pray that each heart in this room would be awakened to the voice of God. And instead of following all the teachers, we would cling to Christ and say, oh God, teach me. Holy Spirit, be my teacher. More than Google, more than my favorite author, more than my favorite preacher or my favorite celebrity, we put all those things aside and we say, God, teach us. Your servants are listening. And everyone said,